Hey, what's up, everyone? Brandon Seho checking in for the second episode of The Mental Game. And in this podcast episode, we have an absolute legend. He was a star on the football field at Texas while he won a Heisman Trophy in 1998 before becoming a top five draft pick in the NFL, where in the league he was an all-pro running back and one of the most electrifying players of our generation. I am so excited to have the legendary Ricky Williams on The Mental Game today. Ricky's one of the most passionate people I have ever met about mental health, and he has an amazing story to tell. In this podcast episode, we talk about Ricky's football journey both on and off the field, also how he battled social anxiety disorder throughout his career and now in his life, and why Ricky wants to help break the stigma surrounding mental health, especially men's mental health, and much, much more. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done, and I am so excited to share it with you. It helped me a lot listening to Ricky talk. I hope it helps you as well. So let's go ahead and kick things off on The Mental Game with the legend, Ricky Williams. Welcome back into The Mental Game, and I am joined by a very special guest today here in L.A., NFL legend, Heisman Trophy winner, one of my favorite players of all time, Ricky Williams. Ricky, I appreciate you doing this with me. Oh, yeah, it's good to be here. First thing I ask every guest, and it's kind of a loaded question, but what does mental health mean to you? And people answer it different ways, whether it's something they've discovered recently. I know for you, mental health has been something you've been passionate about for a while. Maybe how you used it as a tool throughout your life, your career. But what does mental health mean to you? Happiness. Yeah. Yeah. But not, not like the, you know, always bubbly, elated kind of happiness. But I mean more like internal peace. Yeah. You know, is that no matter what life brings to you, because I think of mental health as mental is inside. Yeah. Right. It's how do we, do we have the ability to, to handle whatever life brings, brings to us to, to be able to deal with it, mm -hmm. land on our feet and keep, and keep moving and keep growing. For you, when did you start looking at it as that and making your mental health a priority? Well, it's like anything like physical health. We don't pay attention to it until it starts to like go right. bad. And so, you know, my definition of happiness, I was, even as a kid, went through a lot of adversity, but I was able to, to maintain my, my happiness. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until towards the end of my uh, college career and the beginning of my NFL career where I had all the external things right. that I thought I was supposed to have in order to be happy, but I found I was more unhappy. Right. And so I had to start to attend to my mental health because it was starting to affect the quality of my life. Being a football fan my whole life and then being a sports supporter for the last eight years, I understood the outside, I, I guess, as a fan and then working in the business now of maybe the, the, the perception that, that you got through interviews and media, but no one understood your side of things until, you know, I would say probably what, last t five, ten years when you started speaking up more about your mental health and what you were going through and how things were from your side of things. I think that if your career happened now, I think you'd have a lot more support, love shown your way for the mental health side of things. What was it like? And this is another loaded question, but playing through battles you had with your social anxiety and mental health when people didn't really understand or embrace it at that time. You know, a lot of people are, are bothered by that, but I didn't understand it either. So, yeah. so for me, as I learned, as I learned about, taking care of my mental health is I learned 
I could appreciate other people don't know either. So there's a yeah. process of learning that they have to go through also. You know, and to answer your first question, two things. One, I think if if it had been nowadays, I think I would have paid more attention to my mental health. So I wouldn't have gotten to that place. Yeah. But if it had, I think it would have there would have been more mm-hmm. um, openness and, and support. Yeah. And support. But, you know, I, I think what I experienced almost was 20 years ago. Right. Um, people are just now starting to to come to terms with. And so I, in a sense, I have a 20 year head start. Right. And I and from my perspective, you know, what starts out as being more attentive to how we feel and prioritizing mm-hmm. it. Um, at least in my experience, eventually leads to what people call like a spiritual awakening. Yeah. Because as we start to attend to our mental health, which means paying attention to what's going on inside, we we start to gain an appreciation for how deep we are inside and mm-hmm. how as we get to know ourselves more, we start to tap into the core motivations that we all share. Yeah. And, and so I, for me, where at first I just wasn't feeling good and then I started to attend to that, it led me on a journey to really get to know myself and find out and appreciate my place in the, in the larger scheme of things. Did you feel, uh, I mean, I would assume as a pro athlete and Heisman Trophy winner, you felt pressure to perform. Um, did you feel, you know, anxiety, depression, anxiousness when you were playing, when some of the attention started coming around when it came to, you know, smoking or whatever, it, it, you know, like we talked about with mental health, that wasn't really, you know, as widely accepted as it is now. Did you feel, did, how, how was it dealing with those external factors of the questions you got and whatever people would write about you or say about you? I know you have friends in the media this, too, but it's. This, this, is a, this is a good example, a great example of mental health. Because for a lot of people, and what I, you know, what little I, I see, is especially um, celebrities, mm-hmm. is people's opinions or people's comments and their social media yeah. is like really affecting their mental health, right? But that wasn't my experience. My experience is when all of that was going down, I, I was in a good place with myself, mm-hmm. and so it didn't bother me. Right, and I think that's okay. that's the that's the point of mental health. It's not like these things shouldn't happen to us. It's I have to know myself and understand why they're happening mm-hmm. so that I can have perspective. Because I think a lack of mental health comes from a loss of perspective. Yeah, and, and it, it's like it's not a disease like something we catch, even though that's that's the way we start to talk about it. Right. It's it's more of a, a manifestation of a lack of ease, mm-hmm. you know, and so. And it's looking back, it's common sense. If someone is suffering from social anxiety disorder, it means social, the people they're hanging around, anxiety mm-hmm. are creating anxiety for the, for the people. Yeah. And for me, the simple fix was to hang around different people. Sure. And so for me, my social anxiety, aside when I paid attention to the clues, it wasn't a disease. It was information that I was in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I attended to that and got into a place where I, I, I was appreciated and who I truly was was seen and acknowledged, the anxiety went away. And on wow. the contrary, I became a teacher and a public speaker. Yeah. And so I think in, in depth psychologists, you know, Carl Jung, Sigmund Freud, they've been saying this for 100 years. 
that mental health issues are a call, mm-hmm. right? That we're, there's an inner life that we're not attending to, we're not paying attention to, that's trying to get our attention. Yeah. And if we start to pay attention to it, we start to attend to our mental health, yeah. right? It, it changes. If I can ask about some of the outside things that I guess, you know, people would see, and I think you've talked about it before, doing interviews with your helmet on, what led to that? And was that, um, was that an effect of the social anxiety? I don't want to speak for you. I'm just curious when you're in that moment, and this is 20 years ago, what was the reasoning for doing interviews with the helmet on? It was actually to maintain my mental health. Right, because the whole idea this is this is the issue with mental health. It's on the inside, and yeah. mental health is not it's not rational. Yeah. Okay, but for all the pressure from the external, do this, do this. But if we don't learn to take care of our heart, how we feel on the inside, then we're gonna have a break. And I was it was to a point where I was feeling the pressure of of people projecting their stuff onto me, and I think right. this is part of being a professional athlete. But I'm a sensitive person, and. I don't mind the like I didn't mind the projection when I was running for the Heisman Trophy because it was all positive. Right. But when I got to the NFL and I started speaking my mind and people said I was weird or I was different, then I was like, you know, you're you're you want me to take my helmet off and speak to me, but you don't even see me. You just have an image of me. Right. And so in my mind it made it was like how I maintain my mental health. Mm-hmm. is if I'm not going to let you just take and take from me where I just feel shriveled up, I'm going to make some kind of stand. So at least you have to see me, right? <laughs> see me and that I'm rebelling against this disagreement here. I think you were, um, I, I think that's respectful in, in, on your side of things. And people just didn't see it from that way. I think I know the answer to this, but do you feel like you were treated unfairly back then with, I don't. The questions I don't. Or? I don't. You know, because one of the things that I've realized is I'm ahead of my time. And, yeah. And there's plenty of examples in history of people who are ahead of their time. And what is consistent is they weren't seen or appreciated. They were misunderstood. They were mistreated until later. Yeah. And so I, I almost kind of take pride in, yeah. in the mistreatment. Can you walk me through the decision to retire when you did early? Um what was that moment like for you? I have to imagine there was a range of emotions going through your head. Yeah, it was It's one of those things where I saw it coming, mm-hmm. but I was kind of trying to like pretend it wasn't there and avoid it. And I saw it coming and coming. And so, yeah, there was a range of emotions, but I had spent several months more or less processing those emotions. Sure. And so when the moment came, I was, I was ready for it. Yeah. You know, but still, when I picked up the phone, to call the NFL and tell them that I was retiring. Like it, it's this moment and it, it wasn't death. It wasn't yeah. death. There was a part of me that died, you know, and I saw my whole life flash in front of me and it's like all these flashes, they were all football, 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 mm-hmm. football, football. And the, the, the feeling or the thought at the moment was like, I'm giving up everything, everything that's right. ever been important to me. Um, and it was scary, but as soon as I did it, there was a huge relief. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this huge like burden was was lifted. Yeah. Well, I talked to Browns legend Joe Thomas. I went to Wisconsin and did a podcast with him, and you know he had broken down after his last loss to Tom Brady. He's like, he's kicked my ass my entire career. He got in the car one time with his wife after the game and just broke down and cried and realized that he had been lying to himself. The Browns weren't going to win. And, you know, it was tough this ten, last 10 years. They were all losing seasons. So he ended up seeing the team psychiatrist the next day. And that psychiatrist helped um, get him used to 
life after football when he decided he was going to retire. And that psychiatrist told him to treat it like a death in the family because you're losing a huge part of your life. Did you have, you know, I know you came back and then you retired. And did you have peace right away when you did what we were able to finally step away from the game? You right. It was, it was, a, it was immediate. Okay. It was immediate. Yeah. Immediate. Why do you think it was so like snap of the finger? Like this is, this is it. It's the time I'm good. Because oh, like I said, it'd been it'd been building. Yeah, it'd been building, and I had I had come to a deep realization that this wasn't my call. I wasn't my calling. Right. It was a it was a part of my path, but mm -hmm. it wasn't what I was here to do. And so, at a deep level, it was crystal clear. I didn't know what I was here to do exactly. But right. I knew the direction. Right. To move, but I I didn't have the the solid details like I had as a as a professional football player. Yeah. But the excitement of what was to come, you know, and, and previous to retiring, I started reading. I just started reading more. Sure. And I started traveling more. So my mind was open. And I and I think the main motivation was I realized how much of life I was missing out on. That's what I was going to ask you, because I had heard you in previous interviews and podcasts talk about how football was your life. And, you know, you mentioned in, in one podcast I listened to your mom was excited for you when you got good grades, but no one else said, hey, good job at getting that A or getting that 100%, whatever it was. They were focused on the athlete, Ricky, and the football version of you. What was, if you could go back, would you try to live more outside of football? Or, I mean, I don't want you to ask the second guess, well, but no, you mentioned no, no. it. It's a, it's a good question. And I, I can't go back, but I can leave something for the younger generations. Right. You know? And so... The idea was back then. It was a different time. Yeah, it was. It was a different. It was time. totally. I mean, yeah, it was, it was so different. And things are always changing. But I think now there's more room, like, for athletes to be more than just an athlete. Yeah, it's almost it's almost encouraged. And so I I just lean I lean into that more. And mm -hmm. and when I talk to young people, especially athletes, I say, you know, even if you're Tom Brady. Okay. Even if you play for 20 years, right. right? Which you're probably not, but even if you do, <laughs> yeah. you still have another half of your life to live. So regardless, unless you tried, died young and tragically, what you do as an athlete is only a platform. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with that platform? And if you wait until the end to decide what you're going to do with that platform, it's going to be too late. So, so as you look at your life, like include your athletic performance, but also include how you use that as a catapult to mm -hmm. do what's next. Back to the social anxiety disorder, disorder. Is that something that still affects you today? Do you not like being in you know big social settings or around certain people? Is that something that you still deal with on a day to day? Well, if I if I was still on an NFL football team or I worked for the NFL Network, or yeah. I was around those kinds of like NFL right. win 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 all right. the time. Yes, I would be. Okay, but I'm not. Right. You know, it was funny. I, I did something at NFL Network and as soon as we like pulled up and I like saw all the like NFL like symbolism. Yeah. I was like, here we go again. You know, and then as I walked in there, it's like I reminded myself like I, I'm not young. I'm older. Like people look up to me. They look at me differently. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of shook it off and I just was myself. Yeah. You know, because the thing about social anxiety is my sensitivity and being a sensitive person on a football team, like, right. you know, you, I was even as a man throw a football in there, it's, I was out, of, I was out of place. And so the, the, the anxiety was feeling that I'm not a wanted here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, meaning there's not a, a, an, a, there's not an appreciation for the things that I value in this space. Right. And that's good information.
I'll ask you this, and I'm assuming the answer is the same as mine. You know, I've been through, I've, I've battled depression for the last 15 years, um, had a really terrible year, was suicidal, and that's why I started this podcast. Do you feel like part of your calling now is to help others that didn't have the tools that, that you did earlier on to be able to battle these these diseases and make sure they don't get to the lows that you know you and I might have been at at one point? Uh, it, it's not so much to battle so they don't get to the lows because I think, that, like you said, you said it twice already, right? What came out of the lows? So I, I don't right, think that's true. I, I don't think this like, podcast wouldn't be happening exactly. if I didn't go through those. So those I, I don't lows. think it's try. I don't think it's trying to avoid it, but I think it's it's to leave like a, a more advanced picture. Even sure. this idea of avoiding depression to me, that's not anything to aspire towards. Yeah, you know, it, dealing with it, overcoming it, and and finding the gifts that it was here to give you, and. Approaching that process consciously so that you can move through it probably faster and more consciously and right. suffer less. But that doesn't mean not go into the low. It's mm -hmm. mean have a different perspective. So when you, right, if you think of going to the lowest point, right, you're in a, a football game and it's the fourth quarter, right, you're up by seven and you fumble. Yeah. And the other team goes and ties it. That's a low point, right? Right. It's a low point. And, and it's, okay, what do you do now? Okay. You got the ball next, right? I was in a game where this happened. They kept giving me the ball, and I made up for it, and I scored a touchdown. Yeah. So the, the low points are not to be avoided. They're to be embraced. Because it's, it's funny, the conversation about football and mental health mm -hmm. is like the way it's, we enter the conversation is like they're different, but they're not. Right. You know, in order to be successful as a football player, you have to have what? Mental toughness. And you cannot have mental health if you do not have mental toughness. It's, to me, they're synonymous, mm -hmm. you know? But I think we've twisted the idea of toughness. Of toughness meaning you have to be rigid. Yeah. But, but toughness is actually flexibility. You mentioned being a sensitive guy. I'll admit I'm a sensitive guy. And when I was uh, seeking help, I, I told you I was reporting on the Bengals Super Bowl run, took a couple weeks off, checked myself into a mental health hospital. They were asking about the stigma around men's mental health, which I didn't really understand or know it was a thing until someone asked me about it, one of these instructors at this mental health hospital, and they said, um, why are you like afraid to open up or, or be emotional? I'm like, well, I don't want people to think, like I've always been a bitch my entire life. And the, the instructor stopped me right there and said, that's the problem. That's, that's the stigma surround it. When, when did you feel comfortable to- Being a bitch? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't saying that. I've been a bitch my whole life. Like I told that psychiatrist. <laughs> what was what? I comfortable acknowledging that I was a bitch? Uh, no, honestly, I grew up. I'm mean, sense a sensitive man. I know that's I'm a better that's that, yeah, that's a better word for it. But I mean, it's just, it's you're right in certain certain circles. It's it's so I I've always known, but I use football to cover it up. Sure. Right. That's how I could prove. Right. And and but I it created a, I had to compartmentalize these two parts of myself. Yeah. And so when I retired. It was like, it's a version of being a bitch, of giving it up for drugs. Right. It's a version of it, you know? Yeah. I couldn't take it, right? It's a version of it. And so when I did that, it allowed, like, retiring allowed mm -hmm. me to integrate the two parts of myself. Mm -hmm. And so the year I spent away was all about integrating. Yeah. You know? I was really bitchy. I was a vegetarian, started doing <laughs> yoga, meditation, astrology. Listening to classical music I was or all whatever, in, yeah, like, exactly. whatever you can think of. I was right? all in. I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I told that story because <laughs> that brought up a good conversation. Uh, fast forward to now. 
you're doing a lot and it seems like you are at a true happiness like you talked about to start this episode you have the heisman which for those who don't know that's your company spelled not like the heisman trophy you won but h-i-g-h-s-m-a-n tell people at home a little bit about that and why was that something you wanted to create well it comes full circle to me it's about mental health mm -hmm. and what i found when i started consuming cannabis is it facilitated my awareness of what was going on inside yeah no, I noticed when I smoked, I would reflect on things I said to my partner or the way I treated my son, you know? Yeah. And it didn't feel good. And it, and it started to help me, like, attend to those parts of myself mm -hmm. that I had been completely ignoring. And the quality of my life started to improve. And that's, that's a message. Like you said, I'm not trying to, to keep people from having that experience, but I'm trying to give them permission to have it consciously, right? Yeah. And that it was something that, that worked for me. Mm -hmm. But when I looked around to understand all the difficulty I was going through, I didn't find any support. So I'm trying to put a message out to the world for the people that do resonate mm -hmm. with cannabis or do resonate with their sensitivity or do resonate with their introversion or their philosophical reflective thoughts. That these aren't something to be to be ashamed of or sure. a negative thing. It's if you like for me, I, I, I used to be ashamed of those things. Someone mm -hmm. would say, well, are you high? Are you smoking? What are you talking about? I would be offended. And now I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I embrace it because I'm happy and, and I don't care what it looks like. Yeah. You know, and so th that's the deeper message is choose happiness. Choose whatever makes you happy. I, I couldn't think of a better way to explain that. Uh, I do have to ask how I mean, I know you're happy right now, but. How happy are you that that's been able, the world's changed where something that is a tool for you that you can now spread to other people to help with mental health and be themselves is widely accepted because that's what people 20 years ago was the headline was, you know, Ricky Williams is smoking pot, fails a drug test, whatever. Now you've been able to, like you said, come full circle, make it part of your, your brand, your mission and help other people. How, how much... How much fun has that been to be full circle it, with that? It's fun, but it's healing. Cause yeah. Even the that's word, the best word. Is the healing. word healing means whole, full circle. That's right. The, that, that's really what it is. And like the, the split in me is that I was pretending to be one thing yeah. that I wasn't. And, and it was even celebrated. People were even saying, don't hide, hide that. Don't show people that. Right. It was, we, we still support it. Right. But for me, like living that way it was leading to mental health issues i think that's right these when we compartmentalize and we have different parts of ourselves there's going to be mental health issues and the more whole we can be the more integrated we can be right we have less mental health mm -hmm. issues and so for me it was really a uh about integration i'll ask this because obviously we have big fans of you that are watching this podcast episode or listening on the podcast platforms what's uh what can they how can they get involved with heisman what are some of the things that you believe are your guys' best products or ways to help people with their mental health? You know, so the biggest thing with Heisman is we have we have products, we have merch, we got cannabis, but but really the I think our greatest value add is community. Mm -hmm. And I think it's community built around this message. Right? It's like it's sort of, you know, like the guys are trying to build it around me and I'm the person, I'm the mouthpiece. Yeah. But it's this message of trust yourself. If something feels good to you, mm -hmm. trust that. Embrace and it. I, exactly. And if we can and if we can build a community around that, we're going to build people who are more mentally healthy mm -hmm. because that feeling inside, that, that's part of your mental. Yeah. Uh, do you miss football at all? Do you, 
There's so much football, especially during football season, it's hard to miss. <laughs> yeah, would you ever think about getting back in the game, whether it be coaching or you know, just something with a team, whether it be a mental health coach? Or Have you thought about that? Uh, a lot. I, I think of two mental health coach it's it's like the the position i think it's like a cross between a chaplain and a mental health coach okay because for me once you start the mental health you there's that the questions don't get simpler they become more complex sure and if you don't have a larger perspective it's you there's no answers right and so definitely because a, a, a part of the mental health is directly connected to achievement mm -hmm. you know people don't realize but our greatest asset are our emotions yeah but our emotions are mostly controlled by everyone around us in the situations. So the more we can take control of our emotions, we can actually use them because they're very powerful. Yeah. You know, emotions drive behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, the, all the times we do something, we're like, why did I do that? It was the emotions. Yeah. It was the emotions. And so it's for someone to be, you know, in, in the Native American tribes, they call them the war shamans. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the same idea. It's if you can get everyone on the same page mentally, Right. They're going to be more successful in battle together. Sure. And so I see myself playing that role, but I, can, you know, either as a separate position or as a head coach. So I always think about if so, if I had an opportunity, a head coaching opportunity, it would be really difficult for me to turn it down. Are you talking about at high school, college, pro? Or? It'd have to be college and above. Gotcha. OK, is there I mean, I'm not going to ask you to name school. So, hey, it doesn't gonna... even matter. Anyone that anyone that 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 you know, resonates with me and would sure. give me the opportunity to, gotta believe your mission. to bring in my, to bring my mission and my, not afraid of it, bring my mission and my philosophy to their program. Cause I, you know, aside from the stories and what people think about me, the one thing that I hope is obviously it's obvious is that if I was a head coach, there wouldn't be no one that cared more about those players mm -hmm. on the deepest level. Sure. You're not going to find, you're not going to find that in, in, in anyone. Well, and that's huge in football. I didn't play. Well, I mean, I did, I was a punter in high school. That doesn't really count. But I understand the care for the guys. I'm around these high-level coaches and athletes. Um, I, so I just want to say one thing. So the, the, it's something I almost said earlier, but it's, it's, it's relevant now. The moment I decided to retire, okay, the, the thought that came through my mind was some, it was a version of I could make such a greater impact if I was actually working with kids coming into college. Because to me, the, the, the gateway between, between being a kid and being a man and mm -hmm. adult is, co is college, right. you yep. know, especially for athletes. At least it was for me. And I think it's a, such a, that, that college coach is such an important position as far as developing leaders mm -hmm. and men. Oh. And I, I realized the impact that my college coaches had on me and sure. the opportunity to have that kind of a f effect on, on other men. Oh, like, that, that really that gets, gets, that gets your hair standing oh, up. That it, gets you going. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If the, if the opportunity came across, it would be so hard for me to say no. Well, I think anyone who doesn't believe in you for that would be stupid because I can tell from our conversation here, and, I mean, truth be told, we've only known each other in person for a half hour, but I've interviewed a ton of people. I've met a ton of athletes, celebrities, whatever. When someone's genuine, it is infectious. And so I feel that energy, and so I appreciate that from you, especially when we're talking about tough stuff like mental health or your journey, whatever it might be. Uh, before I ask my final question, is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanna get to when it comes to your journey, your mental health, kind of what you want people to know about you and where you're at now? Well, just a, a, like a general idea about mental health mm -hmm. and what I found 
very beneficial for myself is we have to see ourselves as part of a, a larger narrative. And when I say we have to, we all do it. Yeah. You know? And I think for me, when I took responsibility for that narrative yeah. and stopped allowing other people to define that narrative, um, that, that's when things really started to change, to change for me. And one of the things that I do, a lot of people don't really understand, but I got into, and because it helped me locate, find, and live my story, my mm -hmm. narrative was astrology. Okay. And that, I did read that. that yeah. you and if we go back to the, to the core of astrology, it's based on mythology. You know, and this idea that there are certain myths, certain stories, certain ideas that we really resonate with and we can find inspiration. I think it's it's why little kids, right, they can watch the same Disney movie over and over and over and over and over again because they're they're seeing how these these patterns, these characters, these dramas play out. And when we can recognize that and recognize our own internal narrative that's trying to play out, we can live it more more effectively. Well, I feel like I'm sitting here with Professor Williams, Coach Williams, whatever whatever you want me to call you. The last thing I'll ask, and it's what I ask everyone, depending on what field they're in or what they're coming from, what is advice you would give to, let's say, a young athlete, you know, a high school athlete perspective that wants to follow in your footsteps and play at a high level in college, has the vision of going to the pros when it comes to sports. What advice or pieces of advice do you give them? I would say never lose sight of the fact that you're being trained to be great. And that greatness hopefully extends beyond your sport. But all of the things that, especially any high-level athlete, it's a science, yeah. right? It's a science of how to achieve, how to be great. And if you take those same principles and apply to any area of your life, you will be successful. Awesome, Ricky. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you for your time. We'll be back next week with another episode here on The Mental Game. And what an amazing conversation that was with Ricky Williams. Like I said off the top, Ricky is one of the most passionate people I've ever met about mental health. So once again, hopefully that conversation helped you. I know it helped me and I can't thank Ricky enough for coming on the mental game podcast. Next Tuesday, we have another amazing guest from the office. That is my favorite TV show. Meredith, AKA Kate Flannery will join me to talk about starring on that show growing up throughout Hollywood, trying to get her first job and what it was like to be on the office and how she has dealt with mental health. So we'll see you next week, right back here on the mental game. Mm-hmm.